That is not the situation. I'm trying to get like you, man. Nah, man. So what what's going on, man? You up here? You up here slinging uh yogurt? <laughs> yogurt cups yesterday. <laughs> it's it's been an in, yesterday was an interesting day on so many on so many counts. So many counts, man. I learned a lot. <laughs> wow. There's a you know, and maybe we can maybe we can talk about this. I don't know, but there's a there's a difference between being a strategist and being an operator. Yep. Speak on it, man. Because <laughs> I tell people all the time you can't do both. It's hard to do both. One has to sacrifice. Yeah. And um as a strategist, I've got so much respect for operators yeah. because that's a whole different, I mean, that's a different cut. <laughs> You're getting from a different part of the cloth for, for that, man. Yep. So do you want to talk about being a strategist versus an operator or do you want to talk about, what did you talk well, there's about? A- there's a couple of things that I think we could talk about. The the strategist versus the operator, both are important. The other thing is that, you know, this is kind of towards the year end. And so everyone talks about, and I may do my own podcast on this, but everyone talks about resolutions that they're going to make, things that they're going to start doing in the fourth year, the forthcoming year. And uh, I'm really kind of a fan of identifying the things you're going to cut out. So what are you going to, what are you currently doing that you're going to cut out? of doing um, in the forthcoming year. So we can do both or neither. Well, you also talked about yesterday, uh, no shows for interviews, which is always fun to talk about. You also talked about what the person texted you and then... uh, What did someone text me? uh, Am I still on for my interview and they already missed it? No, no, no. It's uh yeah, it's like it's just crazy. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about ghosting. <laughs> that whole that whole no show. Cause I really I really want to understand that. I mean that this is one of those things where I don't have the answer. <laughs> but I need to have the answer. <laughs> okay. So how about we just jump in? This is kind of this segment Galen Bingham and I created called Leadership and Stuff. So we're about to get into the stuff. There's no topic. Maybe there'll be a topic at the end of this conversation, but um, Galen's getting ready to jump into the conversation. So I think we're going to start off talking about ghostings. <laughs> so <laughs> the floor is yours, man. Yeah. Come to find out, uh, there is this thing in business called ghosting. And I saw this, I saw this article on the news. I can't remember what channel, I can't remember what show, but they say that um, employees or candidates will come post for an interview, they'll post for a job, they'll get the interview, and they will either not show up for the interview, or they will go to the interview, they'll get hired, and then they'll not show up for their first day uh, on the job. And no text, no call, no anything. They're just, it's just, you can't get in touch with them. You can't find out what happened. They could be on the side of the road somewhere. You don't know as, a, as an employer. It's almost like they were a ghost. And I saw that article and I could, as a business strategist, that didn't make sense to me. As a business owner of a retail shop, I've experienced that. And that's one of those things that I really need to get my arms around what that is. I've got a couple of theories. I've got a couple of thoughts, but I really need to talk to some other smart people uh, to get my arms around that. So that's why I would love to get your, your perspective as well, uh, William, because this is a real thing. What, what kind of people <laughs> will talk to you on the telephone? set up logistics, say, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in coming in for the interview. This is absolutely everything that I thought I wanted to do. Nine, nine o'clock tomorrow morning, perfect. And then 9.20, 9.30, nothing. No, no show, no text, no call, no email. It's almost as if that conversation last night did not exist. 
So what's your thought? Have you experienced anything like that? Yes. <laughs> I I have no, I have. So for those of you watching the leadership is stuff, the reason why it's called leadership is stuff is because this is intended to be a conversation with no solution to problems. <laughs> it's, it's just talking. Yeah, we, 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 we may find the solution as we have this conversation. I hope man. I hope, uh, but I've been ghosted several times i mean many times and i don't i don't understand the logic uh of it so to be uh non-specific uh it happened recently where um you know got ghosted because a person uh got a different job and didn't bother to say hey no thanks you know it's like okay okay you know, and we were looking forward to having this conversation with this person, came highly recommended. And it just makes you feel like, did I just waste my time believing that I'm about to hire a great employee? Or, you know, did I turn someone down? And and, and mind you, you know, as an employer, you're trying to invite <clears throat> invite as many people as you can to the conversation so that you are, in general, selecting the right person. But what people aren't considering is that when you go through the process of selecting resumes to to dwindle it down to a certain number of people you really want to talk to and you are selected as one of those final candidates and you pull out, you're in essence harming the company and their process of going through the process of selecting the best candidate or candidates. And I've been in situations where we've interviewed a number of people. It was a tough choice with person A, but then a business opportunity opened up. And the first person we think about is person B because they were a close second for different reasons. And we've hired person B and that person was an awesome fit for the new business opportunity popped up. So, you know, there's, there's good reason to show up. <laughs> Like, even if it doesn't work out, it may work out in your favor in another way. I, I, I don't I don't have an answer, bro. <laughs> All that say, I don't, have, I don't have an answer. You know, I, I've, uh, I've reached out, uh, you know, so this occurred, to, this happened to me literally two days ago. Actually, it happened to me yesterday. It happened to me yesterday in uh, the business that I own. Uh, I don't go there every day, and I, I tell uh, everyone on my team, that I own the business, but I don't run the business. I don't, I don't show up. I don't work shifts. That's not what uh, I bought the business to do. So very often when I go to the shop, when I go to the business, I'm going there for a specific reason. I'm not just going there to hang out. And so when I set up an interview at the shop, at my business, I'm going there specifically for that reason. Or if I've, you know, everyone that I bring onto my team, I do their first day. I do their orientation. I do their first set of trainings. I personally do that. Uh, I've got shift leads. I've got shift leads that I expect to manage the rest of the training. But that first day is usually one on one, the new hire and the owner. And so when we say tomorrow at nine o'clock, I'm going there specifically and I've blocked out most of my day specifically to spend with that new hire because I believe that that's really, really important. So when you don't show, it's like my, my entire day is, is shot. And I suppose that that doesn't matter to the person that, that is ghosting, but I really just don't understand how you can set up logistics and you can say, yeah, tomorrow at nine o'clock. And then somewhere between now and nine o'clock, you decide this is not the job for me. And you're not telling me because you can't, I don't think you just got lost. And then because you got lost on the way to the first day, you said, you know what, screw it. I'm 30 minutes late. I'm just not going to go. That doesn't happen. <laughs> You've made a decision at some point for whatever reason, <laughs> that what I thought this job was or going to be is not what I wanted to do. And how do you just not let anybody know? I, I don't, I don't get it. And I need to understand it because, you know, that's my life as an operator, as a strategist, major corporations can come to me and ask me that question. So I need to have an answer to that. And I, 
I don't know, man. I mean, <laughs> you said, how is it that, you know, 3 p.m. yesterday, you, yeah, definitely went to interview, and then 9 a.m. the next morning, no, thank you. Wait, wait a minute. You filled out a job application, which takes time. You submitted your resume through the portal or through some sort of email mechanism, it takes time. You looked at the job description, probably tasted the product or used the product that you're selling. That takes time and investment. And all of a sudden, after getting a call back, you're saying, mm, no, thanks. <laughs> like, really? On the call back, you said yes. <laughs> right? The call back, you said yes. I will be there tomorrow. Let me write down the address. Got it. I'm coming. <laughs> so uh, I've got a couple wow. of theories. I've got a couple of theories and, and I've reached out to actually some of my fellow operators and this is, uh, I, I'm happy to report, this is not just Galen Bingham, that this is occurring throughout the system. Uh, it's occurring across the country. They said that the, the term uh, ghosting really comes from something, I guess, that comes out of online dating. Uh, I've never experienced online dating, so I don't know that reference but i assume that you could see someone on an on da- online dating site say that i'm interested say whatever set up a time and then just not show up which uh would drive me crazy as well <laughs> i guess that's where the term comes from as far as ghosting and this is just a prevalent thing and so the theory that i've heard most often there, yeah, obviously, there's a lot of energy around this when you're talking about operator and, and, and operators, and everyone wants to blame the new generation, Generation Z, and you know, home training and lack of parenting, and <laughs> got it. You know, I can see that I can see the emotion coming in with that, and that could, there could be some of that. However, mm-hmm. I, I think it's I think it's 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 something bigger in our culture. And I automatically go to, and I put my strategist hat back on, I automatically go to, okay, this is happening with 17, 18, 19 years old, year olds. In 10 years, these people, these very same people are going to be running major corporations. And we need to, I think, figure this thing out or else you're going to have Kraft Foods, you're going to have Coca-Cola, you're going to have General Mills, uh, you know, Procter yeah. Gamble having to struggle with these same issues. So um, my theory is that there is, there has been, we've created a detachment between businesses and people. And perhaps that detachment allows you to think that there's no need for the same personal respect that you would give to other, to other people. I, I believe I'm reaching right now. So what, what, how does that feel? How does that feel to you? So I went from laughing. <laughs> Stuff's so funny to me. To taking a serious thought about what you just said. You are in the food product business, if I can just be generic like that. And when you said a few things uh, in the future, these people are going to be running major corporations in the next 10, 15, 20 years. Then you listed potential corporations they could be impacting because of the product you sell or you operate. I immediately thought about the work that I do. I'm in workforce development. And what I wrote down in my notes is what is workforce development looking like in America? Because Operators of retail businesses aren't the only ones being ghosted. You know, on on my side of the fence in a nonprofit world, we get ghosted all the time too. And you know, we're trying to get people in the door to hear our sales pitch. Uh, part so here's something that that could be impacting business right now, and that is the unemployment rate is low, so people do have options. The other thing I'll throw out there is the lack of principles and values among job seekers, depending on their circumstance. And if there's a certain demographic you're gravitating to, then there's a value system 
amongst that demographic type. Maybe it's generational, maybe it's ethnic, maybe it's gender, but there's a certain type of behavior or value system that comes with a certain demographic type. Um, so I, I work with a number of, of, of uh, audiences um, and every audience has their trend line of functionality and and, and I don't, I don't want to share this you know out of fear of people thinking I'm generalizing people types of groups uh, but there are different value systems among those who are returning citizens value systems that are different among those who are currently homeless value systems that are different among uh, women who are coming home from prison youth coming home from prison women who are involved in domestic violence their value systems tends to be shaped by, yes, you could talk about the way they were raised and all that good stuff and fun stuff, but when you take a step back away from that, think about the recent events in their lives that are causing them now to look for employment and possibly employment at your institution or your business. And if the most recent event was a domestic violence exchange with someone or experience, if their most recent event was recently being recently released from incarceration or finally finding housing or finally obtaining um, custody of your kids, that has a cultural and culture, not necessarily meaning ethnicity, but culture in terms of behavior of a people type. It has a cultural uh, framework that comes along with it. And dare I say, if if you're hiring young adults. 16, 17, 18-year-olds, there's a cultural behavior. There's a context of that generation that is defined by value systems that you, a man of a certain age, you just don't relate to because you're a business owner trying to you look at the bottom line. I'm a 16-year-old kid in high school running track, playing football and basketball. I just need money in my pocket when I need it to pay for the prom or to buy a hoopty. And... I don't know if that's a bad thing versus looking at the variety of value systems that exist in the workforce and appreciating it, but also understanding that there are limitations that come with it as a result of selecting that people type that you want to work with. Yeah, I think you, I think you may be on to something. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, when I, when I was listening to you, talk about value systems, you know, it reminded me of uh, this book that I had just finished a 10 week study on and, and um, actually going to be doing some other things with one of the, <clears throat> one of the recent contributors of the book. Uh, and it's called Think and Grow Rich, uh, originally written by Napoleon Hill. And one of the things that the, that the book talks about is that there are six basic fears that predominate um, you know, all fears kind of fit into these six categories. And the first, and the most prominent one is the fear of poverty. Mm. The second most prominent one is the fear of criticism. And there's a lot of things that can fit into that. So if you have a, a fear of poverty, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily afraid of being broke, but you are afraid of not being able to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And that, that may be you know, some derivation of, of, of how you operate is under that fear. You're trying to avoid this feeling of not having resource to do whatever you want to do. But the fear of criticism, um, I see a lot of that predominating uh, culture right now, where uh, if you go on Instagram, everything is airbrushed. You know, everything is, uh, you know, everyone is leaning up against a Bentley. Everybody has a Bentley. Everybody, isn't it right? something? Everybody, right? You got one. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact I'm, I'm the only one. I'm the only person in America <laughs> that does not have an Ashton Ashton Martin or Bentley. Same here. Also, two of us. We can yes, start. Hey, we can, they're, they're both on this we, podcast. <laughs> we can we can we can start a support group, man. <laughs> and so. And so, you know, perhaps there is this fear of criticism that bubbles up when y y you are offered an opportunity 
and someone says, hey, I want you to come, you don't necessarily want to go, but you don't want to say, I'm not going, because maybe there's a concern that I would be criticized either behind behind closed doors or to my face on the phone call or that kind of thing. Um, and that's something that just came to my mind as I was as I was listening to you. Just these mindsets that are out there. I think you may I think you may be right. Mm. But I think for for leaders and business owners who are looking to hire talent, I think there is a reality of uh, hiring for fit as a part of the process. Um, and fit is not only do we get along, do we have like minded goals and expectations, but you know how do you how do you as the employer relate to the potential uh, job seeker, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that I need to hire everybody that looks like me, sounds like me, is born in the same year and generation as me. No, there are people who are not of my skin color, not of my gender, not of my generational age range, um, weren't born where I was born, that I get along with because there's it's just it's a fit. And we're not bound by the surface level issues that seem to separate us but the the larger value system that we subscribe to is what bonds us or binds us together so if if we have a value system that we want to see all people coming home from prison employed and sustained so that they don't have to take a second look at illegal activity to take care of their families we're bound by that value system you could be an 18 year old high school or college student you can be a 22-year-old master's student. You can be a, a, a middle-aged parent with a family. You sure. can be a grandmother. And we all believe in that value system. That, and and that, that means that there's something that's linking us together to do this work together, if, especially if we all get along sure. and we all sure. contribute something to the table. So perhaps there's something there in terms of looking at alternative people groups to hire or becoming a master of the people group that tends to gravitate to the jobs you're you're providing yeah so there, there are two sides to this issue and i think you're bringing up a side that we haven't talked a whole lot about there is there's a side where you've already selected your team and i think leaders do well to recognize <clears throat> that um there are secondary, usually emotional reasons why people choose to work for you. Right. And very often leaders will say, well, clearly you're working for me for the money and we're all trying to do the same thing. Uh, we're, we're all trying to find jobs for those who are, you know, whatever the mission of the, of the organization is, it's easy for the leader to do that. Uh, but I submit that that's a mistake. That may be true, but there is an emotional, usually hard to articulate reason why they are there. And I'll talk to you about um, my corporate experience. Uh, you know, I've, prior to my latest role in corporate America, I, I, prior to that, I was I managed a team. I was an uh, area director. I had 15 direct reports. And some of the people on my team, they were looking to get promoted. They were looking to become a vice president. They were looking for their name and lights and all of that. Some of the people on my team were looking to transition out of the sales function into a more specific marketing function. And sales tended to be the generalist where you could identify those things that you're passionate about and demonstrate that passion. But, you know, one person in particular was really passionate about marketing, right? right. Uh, another, another person, uh, this was their uh, first job out of, uh, out of college, and they were really still living in this mindset of trying to make their, their parents and their family proud. And so as a leader, it would have been a disservice for me to treat everyone the same because we're all working for the same corporation. We're all trying to drive market share. We're all trying to do this. And clearly you're here for the money. And so it would, it would have been a disservice for me to treat everyone the same. I can have the same standard, but if I treated everyone the same, I wouldn't get as much out of them uh, as opposed to 
giving the marketing person insight as to how they could trans trans uh, transition the sales role into marketing and creating those avenues for her to do that. Right. So I think I think once you have a team, <clears throat> it makes sense <clears throat> to um, speak to them individually. I, I often say that you uh, you manage groups, you lead people uh, because that's individual. So that that's one piece that I can talk about for hours and hours and hours. This piece here, <laughs> when you're just selecting people to come and interview. That seems harder because I don't, I don't know that you can have enough knowledge about someone you haven't met yet to be able to relate to them on a level that is important to them. I mean, that's the purpose of the that's the purpose of the interview is to get to know them to a certain degree. So, um, mm. yeah, I'm, I'm still I'm still struggling with the interview and onboarding process. Mm. Um, yeah, let me let me let me toss this at you and, and get your reaction because this is another thing that I've tried. And again, taking off my strategist hat and putting on my operator hat, uh, I have the reason I do um, the orientation myself personally, and I will spend a minimum of two hours. <clears throat> I've spent as much as six hours on that first day personally. Uh, I tell stories about why I have uh, invested in the business that I've invested in, why I have selected them. I'll talk about, you know, the personal things that I've done. Uh, I'll try to give them insight into my mindset and how I think, you know, what I value. And then I ask for that same thing for, from them because I'm trying to create this personal connection so that, <laughs> excuse me, so that, it's more than just a trend, uh, more than just a, a, a transaction. Um, so that's what I try to do. That's why I do the orientation the way that I do. That's why I do all the interviews myself. But for this, the ghosting on the interview piece, <laughs> I don't understand um, how you could have, in my opinion, it's a lack of respect for your own personal word. Mm. And again, that's a value that's part of that's part of my upbringing. That's part of my value system. That if I give you my word, I either need to deliver on that, uh, or I need to find some ways to make amends in a way that will satisfy you. That my word is still important to me. And the only way that I can make sense of this ghosting thing for interviews is that there is no. Um, there's no transference of this value of my personal word. How, how does that feel to you? I mean, you're Dr. William Clark. How does that feel? Does that hold water or no? <laughs> yeah, I don't think a doctor's going to help this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I thought about when you were sharing that. Um, generational gaps are real. And you mentioned it, right? The way you were raised, what your mom taught you and your siblings and the value system that, that your mom and grandmother and father taught you, they, they influence you today as a business leader. Depending on the people you're hiring, those value systems aren't being passed down, even if they come from a good family, because it's just different. And the other thing I thought about is... I, I I think people struggle with how to manage conflict after they've made a commitment. So they've gotten to the point they got a call back, had a conversation with the hiring manager, the business owner, et cetera, got a commitment, and then they've realized something that they didn't feel comfortable with or didn't like after the fact or sometimes during the fact and don't know how to back out tactfully, either for the lack of humility, huge ego, fear, et cetera. And ultimately the safest thing they think to do is just don't show up. And if you call them, 
they won't answer. These are the same people that will be on social media posting while you're calling and texting them, but they don't got time to pick up the phone call because they don't know how to navigate conflict when they don't want to honor a commitment. And perhaps it's it's you know them not following through in their word. I think that's part of it. And 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 if believe it or not, younger generations they they still honor their word because when the best friend or someone they trust crosses them, they're saying the same things we say. But you said you promised. I thought we agreed. Because and the reason why it matters then is because there's a joint value system them and their friends share there's nothing tying you guys together if it's just a job. And so when I realized I really don't want to do it, I only called because or applied because my mom made me do it and I didn't think anybody was going to call me back and now you call my bluff, Ugh. right? So when I mentioned moments ago, you know, either change the people group you're hiring or master the one you tend to attract, perhaps I'm speaking to the fact that if you're tending, if your business tends to attract across the entire system, a certain people group of a certain age, and it just, it's a natural attraction, perhaps it might be in your best interest or other, you know, uh, retail businesses best interest to learn that generation and to study that generation and to understand their lingo and their value system, the music that they listen to, the shows that they watch, the, the activities that they're engaged in, because it tells a story about who these young people are, if in fact that's who you're attracting. And um, I have a friend um, uh, who I went to, uh, we were in the same doctoral program, and, and she studied uh, generational differences and how it impacts the workplace. So it's easy to say, oh, so-and-so's too old or so-and-so's too young, right? They're, they're, those are easy you know, demarcations to, to blame <clears throat> dysfunctional or so-and-so's black, so-and-so's white, so-and-so's a woman, so-and-so's a man, so-and-so's from the South, so-and-so's from the North. Like there's always those easy things, but then, you know, there are more deeper things you could learn about that person because you're Galen Bingham and you're a black guy, but there's more to you than being a black guy, right? And perhaps that's something to consider, like studying this people group that tends to apply for jobs for you and what barriers they're facing, what challenges they're facing, what interests them, what doesn't interest them and what behavioral tendencies tend to show up with them, such as ghosting. I like it. It makes a lot of sense. makes a lot of sense. Um, Because otherwise you're going to continue to to make the exact same mistake. Mm. Right. And I, I think another, if we were to start listing possible solutions or steps that you can take in order to find a possible solution, I, I would think that what you just said is, is probably number one is to study the, the people that are being attracted to your business. Uh, step number two may be to do what you and I are doing, where you start talking to your your peers, you talk to other, I like to say, talk to other smart people, right? Because um, although I think my ideas <clears throat> are brilliant, uh, you know, I, I'm only coming from my life view, from my perspective. And so the more people that I can mm. um, gain perspective from, uh, the easier it's going to be to come with better solutions. So I think that might be, that might be step number two. Yeah, I'm a big fan of talking to people from other industries because there's a lot in common. And then the things that we don't have in common are the opportunities to learn something. And I have discovered that the pro- the answers to my problems, my business problems are often found talking to people who have no dog in the fight. Huh. And they, they run a completely different business. They see uh, a completely different customer and a different type of uh, workforce, man. And just some of the solutions that that have come through as a result of talking to people like you and others who do something totally different than me, it's been astounding. Like in this conversation now, I will tell you um, uh, an issue that we're dealing with here on my in, in my area of the country is we deal with ghosting. But then it's compounded by uh, a number of unqualified candidates that tend to apply for 
positions that require certain skills. So, you know, a limited pool of job seekers. And it makes it difficult because the pressure of accepting whoever applies or or whoever's left without having full confidence. Um, The challenge of upskilling someone and depending on the life cycle of the program or the nonprofit, you, you might not have the time uh, or capacity to do that. The threat of people stealing your employees because it's easier for them to take your employees and to upskill somebody else and they're recruiting your people away. You know, those those situations are, are real, too, uh, for me. And <clears throat> just understanding how that game is played and, and how to navigate that particular game. Uh, as someone that's hiring folks is challenging, but, you know, I'm processing what we're talking about from my own situation. And um, what I'm gathering is, is less about studying the people groups that apply versus studying the, the market forces that limit the job seeker pool and where the true pool exists for the business that, that I'm, a, I'm a part of the, the nonprofit business I'm a part of. Right. Right, I like it. That's good. That's good. You know, I, I guess if we were, uh, we need to have one of those fancy things where we list all the possible strategies and solutions on the screen as we come up with them. Uh, I don't know how to do that, so I need to get my fifteen-year-old daughter or my sixteen-year-old daughter to tell me how to do that. Uh, but uh, you know, another thing that um, I'm trying to do now is. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to talk to my current employees that I consider to be really, really good. They're committed. They're dedicated. They show up every day. They call when they can't come in. They trade their shifts when they can't work and that kind of thing. Uh, and I'm going to try to talk to them and see if I can get them to help give me some solutions for this ghosting issue that I'm having. Because to your point, they are of that generation. They are facing the same challenges that uh, you know that uh, the people that aren't showing up are facing, and they're making different decisions. So, um, I, you know, they're going to have a better chance of stepping into that mindset than I will. Several generations removed, and, mm-hmm. and you know, having done things that they haven't thought about yet, right? So, my mindset is totally different. But um, my better employees are better able to relate. So I'm going to, you know, I plan to do that. That might be another step. So, so then that reminds me of, so I've, you know, hinted at the work that I do over the past couple of conversations we've had. And so I'm in the workforce development field and I oversee soft skill training for job seekers who are entering into the labor force. And you know, we cover these things, Galen, because employers like you have made their concerns known. And their concerns are things like what we're talking about. It's not like in my business, you know, we're saying there aren't jobs. There are jobs. Employers are complaining that they're getting ghosted. Or if the person does follow through and, and actually, you know, goes through the process and gets hired and shows up, they're distributing or they're they're um uh they're displaying behaviors opposite of what you prefer the the professionalism of calling when you're sick and you can't make it um, the professionalism of knowing man i'm running behind it's my fault and taking ownership there's an accident on the highway not my fault but i just want to give you a heads up maybe a few minutes late the courtesy, the professional courtesy of saying, I broke the, the machine that makes our product. I'm sorry. What can I do to help? You're likely not to bill that person or dock their pay, but just the, the professional courtesy is enough, I'm going to assume, uh, to, to make you say, you know what? I know you didn't mean it. It's all right. You know, we got to cover it. But hey, I need you to look out for this, this, and this. Those type of soft skills is what I cover in the uh, portfolio work that I oversee. And it's in response to what business owners have been saying, that these are the things we want. We can teach people how to make widgets, whatever the widget is, 
But what we don't have time to do and what we get frustrated doing is teaching people how to be professionally curious so that the business doesn't stop. Which, which you texted me yesterday saying that you're, you're now, uh, I'm going to make this up. Um, you're now on the uh, street selling lemonade because your staff didn't show up with the lemonade stand. They left the lemons behind. <laughs> they didn't bring the sugar. And this, the lemonade stand they did bring out was the old beat up one from 10 years ago that you told them don't touch. <laughs> so so now, yesterday you were out selling lemonade, right? And 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 you're like other business owners, man, if I have to do your job, why, why hire you? This is the other topic we were going to wrestle with, which is being a strategist, business owner, leader versus an operator. The operator is, this is the difference between leadership and management. And plug right here. Um, you should see this on the screen. My course, Leadership versus Management. This is a distinct difference. It's very difficult to be a leader and a manager at the same time because the manager makes sure that the widgets are being produced on time, on schedule, the same way every day. And if a leader has to step out of their role to play their manager's job, who's looking down the street, around a corner, you know, up the highway for what's coming down the pike? Trends, opportunities, business growth, revenue generation, profitability, new staffing, etc. You can't do both because the, it's time consuming to be both. And we need both in every business. It doesn't, while I do leadership conversations, I am well aware that there are some people who prefer to be the manager operator because it's, it's their personalities and their wheelhouse. It makes sense for them. And we need people like that in business and in organizations. But when you are forced to do that because employees lack professional courtesy, it's a struggle for you. It's a struggle for the business. It's a struggle for the bottom line. And, and what, what people don't realize as employees, ultimately it harms you as the employee because if cuts have to be made, adjustments have to be made because of your unprofessionalism, it's going to hurt you more than it hurts the business owner. You know, I, I, I can amen absolutely everything that you said. As a matter of fact, I mean, very, everything that you said as a hypothetical actually happened to me in the last two weeks as a business operator. Uh, so had, had had a situation literally about a week and a half ago where um, at the last minute, uh, I look at my security system and we are 30 minutes from the time that we're supposed to open and there's nobody there. It usually takes an hour and a half to open. 30 minutes out, there's nobody there. And so I dropped you know, everything that I was planning to do from a leadership perspective and I go into operator mode. And so I'm, I'm going in, trying to make this thing happen <clears throat> three times faster than it's supposed to happen. I'm trying to make it happen. And uh, I'm there uh, working with one of the smaller machines. There's like a display. There's a display area. There's several displays, but there's one display area that we are supposed to just fill and clean and that kind of thing, make sure that's presentable to the, uh, to the customer. And I get there and everything looks good. And I pull it down and put it on a, a, a cart and it, it almost falls over. And I'm like, wow, that's weird. I catch it. And I realize the bottom is broken off and it was just propped up there to look like it was the way it was supposed to be, but it was actually broken. And, you know, when I come in and, you know, normally when I just come in and look, everything looks good. But because I got in and I was the operator, I realized that they broke the bottom of this display piece. And yeah, there's some cost to replacing it, but not that big of a, not that big of a deal. Uh, there would be a huge investment if the thing broke when one of my customers were there and then all the product fell out and it fell on the it fell on the customer. It's like to your point, just give me the professional courtesy of saying, "Hey, don't know what happened or my fault. I dropped this thing. It broke. Uh, Galen, can you come in and replace it? Or what's the what's the process for replacing it?" Instead, they just propped it up <laughs> to make it look like. Mm. And I'm like, who does that? Who does that? That doesn't, 
that doesn't make sense to me in my in my worldview. Um, and so there, I mean, that you know, absolute absolute reality um, based upon you know a scenario that you were that you were making up in a hypothetical way. Um, and you're absolutely right about having to shift from leader to manager or leader to operator. It's a different mindset. Um, by definition, the leader is supposed to be thinking, um, to, uh, sitting at 10,000 feet and watching what's, what's going on to the entire operation. Uh, I think I did, I think I did a, a podcast on that as well, that if no one is sitting at 10,000 feet observing your operation, then who is? because that's the job of a leader. Uh, whereas the manager's job or the operator's job is to make sure that the widgets are being produced and they're actually counting the errors. They're trying to minimize errors. Uh, if you've done any kind of Six Sigma work or lean work, you know that that is the job to make sure that uh, if you were supposed to produce a thousand, that you produce that 1,000 and perhaps get to 1,003, right? Yep. Uh, if you've had four mistakes over the last million, you're trying to get to two mistakes over the last over the next million, right? That's the job of the manager, but the opera, but the leader's job, and uh, you know my role as a strategist and your 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 role as as a leadership dude is to. Uh, look at what are the trends that are coming and how can I uh, make sure that my people are ready for those trends, make them making, make sure that my business has sustainability uh, into the next five to 10 years. And when I have to go into the, into the space and, and start squeezing lemons to make lemonade, <laughs> I can't think about that at the yes. same time. I, I can't. And then if, you know, back to what I said earlier, if no one's, if I'm not sitting at 10,000 feet looking at my business, then who is? Man, I, that, that's so for people who wonder what leaders do or what they're supposed to be doing or how do you define leadership? I'm always going to say leadership is the idea of influencing to get results that that's not going to change for me. And the results we're talking about is what you're talking about, Galen. You know, those big picture items. You know, my book, uh, Leverage, which is uh, the orange and white uh, book there, uh, I talk about um, the story of Jacob and how he became wealthy and the biblical character Jacob. And he became wealthy because someone, his father-in-law was not minding his business and took advantage of a loophole and created wealth. And ultimately was able to transfer wealth. Um, and in Laban's case, he was doing neither. He was neither managing nor visioning the future. He didn't manage day-to-day. -day. He gave it over to his sons who didn't manage the day-to-day -day well. So Jacob had a leverage point there. And then Laban didn't foresee the future. He didn't see the intuition and the work ethic of his new son-in-law. But instead, he thought, I'll get over on my son-in-law and make him a slave in exchange for my daughter's hand in marriage. And I'll give him the wrong daughter to marry before I give him the right daughter to marry so that I can get 14 years or more of slavery out of this guy, right? Thinking that he's exploiting a loophole. Now, I, you can argue that was, a vi that was a visionary move to make. Great. But I don't know if he maximized his vision because if he did, he would have saw that contract, if you will, as an opportunity to maximize performance. And if you know that this guy is working out of love and passion, he's willing to do almost anything to get what he wants. And if he has the, uh, the work ethic to make it happen, how can that grow your business? And there are leaders who are watching this who are neither looking at the future or managing right now. You can be the founder of a business and manage it right now because that's what you love to do and hire somebody to worry about tomorrow. 
or you can worry about tomorrow and have somebody to worry about today. But you got to do something for your business, man. You can't just be totally absent. Right? It is about pushing the boundaries of your business, creating opportunities, building relationships that can create new revenue sources, new uh, opportunities to increase return on investment, man. It's, it's work. It's work and you've got to be first you've got to know the you gotta know the business that you're in. You gotta know the role that you're playing, and that's what we're what we're talking about here. Uh, because if if the situation calls for an operator and I'm gonna keep my leadership hat on because I enjoy being the leadership strategist, well that's not gonna work out, right? I can't I can't sit there and my shop not open, my business not open because I'm sitting here strategizing about the labor force and the impact of generations working in the workforce, right? That's not going to work. Uh, nor can I uh, be on a uh, project with uh, a major corporation, whether it's P&G, whether it's Coca-Cola, whether it's PepsiCo, whether it's whomever, and I'm having a conversation with the city vice president of, of workforce inclusion, and, and they're looking for me to provide either process or advice. And I can't be talking about whether or not they open their shop on time, right? So I, I, you, we've got to know the business that we're in, know the time and the place to be in that space, and then have the mental capacity to deliver against that uh, as needed. And I think to your point, very often you will see um, actually, I was just I uh, was on a show just yesterday uh, where uh, we were talking about you know people who love baking. They love baking. They can bake a mean pound cake. They love baking, and therefore they create a bake a bakery, and they start trying to expand and franchise their their bakery. However they are not a business owner. They're not a business leader. They are passionate about baking. Yeah. And so it's important. And so their business ultimately fails, not because the product was somehow compromised, but because they didn't know the business that they were in. And so many people, uh, so many CEOs will say, well, uh, my business is to satisfy the customer." Okay, when was the last time you talked to a customer? You're, you're, if you're the CEO, if you're the senior leader of any organization, your job is not to satisfy the customer. Your job is to satisfy and develop the people who will develop the people who will satisfy the customer. And not knowing what your job is makes it really, really probable that you are going to fail. Mm. So... Um, you know, these, these, these are the things that, that um, I think everyone struggles with if you have any kind of enterprise, if you have any kind of business, regardless of how size, uh, the size uh, that it is. But I'll tell you, I, I've learned so much. I think it's improved my, my role as a strategist to own, an, uh, to own a retail business because there are things that operators struggle with that, quite honestly, you shouldn't have to, they shouldn't have to struggle with. Um, but they do. It's a reality, but it's not part of, uh, you know, I, I often say to friends when they ask me about my retail business, I often say, well, this is not quite the way the brochure described. <laughs> and that's the reality of what it means to own a business. You have to, op you have to manage those things that can't be detailed in a brochure uh, to, to, to foretell that this is what you're going to have to deal with. Wow, man. And I, I have wrote down in my notes um, the importance of a leader knowing that as a leader, sometimes you're going to have to switch roles for the sake of your business. Sometimes you're going to have to come off your perch and get in the weeds and show the team that you still know how to do their job or you still know how to make things happen on the ground level. And it's it energizes them. It energizes you. It gives you perspective. Sometimes you find out things you didn't know as you've been so high up for a while. Um, but man, you know, I, I, you know, you talked about the benefits of owning a, a business to help other business owners, you know, sometimes, you know, you may think Galen that, 
you know, when you consult people, what good are you if you've never lived what they've been through? And the value of I've owned I still own a small business and the lessons I've drawn from that to help the people that work for me now or the people that I speak with or, or consult or teach. Those lessons are plenteous because they're the same lessons, no matter if it's a, a, a Fortune 500 or, you know, the mom and pop on the corner selling candy and chips. It's, you know, the principles of selecting the right team, knowing how to find a team, leveraging your strengths, knowing your weaknesses need to be farmed out, man. It's, man, that's a whole nother, whole nother show, man. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Uh, you know, another another favorite phrase uh, of mine is um, nobody eats unless somebody kills something. Mm. And um, that is great. And it's fun to say. But the reality is, as a business owner, I need to have somebody converting business, converting prospects to actual yes. customers and yes. collecting and collecting money in exchange for goods and service. Yes. If that's not happening, I don't have a business, That's right. right? And um, my role, knowing the business that you're in, my role is to develop the people that can do that, right? Because if I roll in there every day and I'm the one talking to the customer and I'm the one making that making that sale, then yeah, we will win the day, we'll win the hour, but we won't win the business because I can't be there all the time. That's right. uh, at the same time, if no one is killing anything, <laughs> I need to roll in there with a gun and, and, and be able to kill, be able to hunt, be able to get some things done so right. that we can sustain long enough to have another day. And, uh, you know, one of the things that you said, I think is really important. You need to know when to step in and when not to step in. And it can't be just because you enjoy it um, because that's not, that's not sustainable. So let me ask you this as we wrap up uh, another edition of leadership and stuff. What are you planning to cut out in 2019? <laughs> wow, that's a whole other a whole other conversation. There, there are on a personal level, I've decided that uh, I am going to uh, cut out um, looking for the next silver bullet. I, I, I'm convinced ever more that there are no silver bullets. It really comes from getting deep in the areas that you already profess to have some expertise, maybe looking at that differently. But um, I, yeah, I'm cutting out my, my uh, pension for uh, chasing the next big thing um, because I got to deliver against this big thing. So that's one of the things I'm, uh, you know, I, I am focused on cutting out. What, what about you? Well I, you, well, I wasn't going to say it that way, but I think you said it right. Um, the, it's not the silver bullet, but I was going to say I'm cutting out trepidation because right. I didn't find the, the silver bullet yet. And as you said, working on what I have in front of me, working with what I have in my hand and allowing myself, giving myself permission to count my pennies until they add up to a dollar. And if I find... A nickel or a dime or a quarter or a full dollar along the way of this journey, I will have had pennies that have helped contribute to ultimately getting to that full dollar. Um, and I think, you know, what you share, what I shared, it's not just for small business owners, it's for leaders of all types, right? Just letting go of fear year by year, step by step. Working with the little things, man, and just watching it come together, man. That's that's powerful. I, you know, hey, another thing I would add to that, because I think you're absolutely right, is uh and I did I did a podcast on this a little while ago, is uh I'm gonna cut myself some slack. Mm. <laughs> because in order to have any kind of any kind of level of success. You've got to have ambition. You've got to hold yourself to a standard that that is not uh, shared in the industry that you're in, right? And so, but with that comes this unfair um, expectation that I am going to be perfect in everything that I do. That's right. 
And that's not realistic. And if someone, if a client were to come to me and a coaching client were to come to me, it would be easy for me to say, dude, that's not, that's not real. That's not realistic. But for myself, somehow that coaching goes out the window. So I'm going to cut myself some slack in 2019. Uh, I am going to allow myself to make some, uh, make some mistakes as long as uh, I'm learning and I'm recovering quickly. Uh, and and just enjoy the ride more. Um, had a uh, had a brand new mentor uh, reinforce to me that it's not about the destination because there is no destination. It is only about the journey. That's all that there is is the journey. And we keep you know we keep looking for well when I get there when I get this when I buy this thing when I hire this person everything will be okay. And uh, lo and behold, you get that thing and, and there's another thing, right? There is no destination. Yes. So, yeah. So that's, that's one of the things I'm, I'm really going to try to embrace. We need to talk about that during our next one. There is no destination because the, what, 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 what some folks don't realize is that the journey defines you as a person, as a leader, as a business owner. And the journey is actually the secret to new opportunities being offered or presented to you because the system that you create along the journey, the discipline along that journey is what people buy into. The end results are always going to be good. You know, if you, if you follow the discipline and you just give uh, yourself to the process, but man, that's, that's so good. So I thought about another one. Um, uh, for me, I'm also going, I'm also, maybe I'm going to do instead of cutting out, but just set the precedent that I wish to see set and welcome people who will jump on board later. Mm. I've been waiting for other people to do this and do that before I do this. And not because I'm incapable or I don't have the capacity to do this or that, but I want it to face, give way to people to, to go ahead and take the lead, man. You know, let me follow you. Let me help you. And um, that has not worked. You know, for some of the personal goals I have, I, it seems as though that the calling is for me to just step out and do me and to give and to contribute in ways that I care to contribute to and be the precedent I desire. Because perhaps people don't see the vision I see and don't know that they have something to contribute. So that's I'm, I'm committed to that in 2019, man. Outstanding. Outstanding. Now, I, I think for me, so much, I mean, we talked about, uh, you know, I talked earlier about um, these six basic fears, and the second one being the fear of criticism. Mm. And um, that one for me tends to be the, the biggest, um, I would say, stumbling block, but the, the thing that occurs most. And it's not so much criticism from other people, it's criticism, it's self-criticism because I have the standard, because I know what I can do, because I know I know the vision that I hold for myself. It's easy for me to say, dude, you're never, you're, you're never gonna get there if you keep performing like this, right? Uh, but that's the same as if Dr. William Clark were to say that to me, right? Mm-hmm. That's the same as you calling me up and saying, Galen, you know, you're not performing in the way that you could be. I know that you've got more in you. What, what are you doing? Right. And but that's that would be more obvious. But it's the same thing as me saying it to myself. Uh, and so back to what I said earlier, I'm going to cut myself a little more slack. Yes. In, in 2019. Be kind and to yourself. Yeah. Well, just just allow honor the fact that I'm human. Yes. <laughs> And uh, I've in in my book uh, I uh, I redefined uh, humility. Um, let's see, yeah. So in this book, I I redefined humility because very often when um, you think of humility or you ask someone or tell someone they need to be humble, what you're intending is that uh, you need to own your weaknesses. You know, downplay your strengths. Don't really talk. Don't really highlight your strengths, and just kind of sit back in the cut and just 
just play the role of servant, play the the role of of humble scrub in the corner a little bit. That's what you're intending. And um, what I've defined it as is humility is really owning the reality of being human. And when I own the reality of being human, the reality is there are some things that I'm not very good at, Mm. right? There are some things that if you ask me to do it, I'm going to give you my best effort, but the result, the end product is not going to be stellar, Mm. right? That's, that's a reality. Now, there are some things that dude, I may be really close to being the greatest in the world at that thing. Right. There, there are some things that there is no need for you to talk to anybody else. If you've got my number in your, in your phone. That's right. Right. Some things. Right. And that's the case with everyone. You know, everyone has strengths. Everyone has weaknesses. And when we only embrace our weaknesses and we don't embrace equally our strengths, then that just contributes to contributes to that negative self-criticism that we talked about earlier in that I only embrace the times that I put myself down as opposed to saying, look, if you want to talk about leadership strategy, I might not be the first person you call, but I really do need to be on the list. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. When you talk about these other things. Yeah. Let me give you some names. Right. Right. <laughs> You need to, you need to own, I think, I think we need to own both. And that's, that's one of the things that, um, that I talk about to other people and I don't necessarily embrace myself as, as, as well as I should. There it is. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if we solved the whole ghosting problem. No, no. I don't think we did either, man, but it was, you know, I I think, I think having uh, this conversation is almost therapeutic, Um, you know, because in other conversations I I have with people and I noticed it this week, when it's an interview going back and forth, it's, you know, it's an interview. It's a question and answer versus this is, you know, this insecurity about what may or may not be a right answer, you know, but let's talk about it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, one uh, one thing as we close out, one thing that I will highlight uh, because you brought it you brought it up uh, brought it up a couple times, uh, and I actually just published a podcast on um, the types of questions that you should be asking in interviews. Yes, and one of the things that I highlight um, is the importance of fit, the yes. importance of making sure that you've got the right fit, and and not waste your time in the interview uh, asking questions about capability because capability is something that should be part of your pre-screening process. That's right. So there should be a pre-screen process to talk about capability. Do you have the experiences? Do you have the certifications? Can you, can you, uh, you know, type 80 words a minute? Are you proficient at taking shorthand? if shorthand is still a thing, right? And that's something that you need right. uh, so that your conversation can be focused on fit, which uh, you've said uh, at least a half dozen times is really the ball game. Fit is really the ball game. And very often we lose sight of that. So um, yeah, I just so wanted much. to talk about that. Go ahead. Man, so much, man. Brother, thank you for doing this. Absolutely. <laughs>